the context of the story is this in Luke chapter 15, verse 1. We're in, as we consider, as we go through the Bible, as we're uh, our last Sunday in this through the Bible series will be on Easter Sunday. Because we all kind of know what happens on Easter Sunday, right? Now, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near him to listen to him. This is Jesus. Tax collectors and sinners, non-religious Jews and tax collectors, sellouts to the Jewish people. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. In their mentality, the way to deal with sin and sinners was to separate yourself from them. You never would reach out to a sinner. You weren't going to help a sinner. Sinners had to help themselves. If sinners wanted to come and start doing the sacrifices and be a part of the sacrificial system, that was great. They could get back in. But no one was going to reach out to them and show them the love of God. They didn't really have that concept, even though the commandment says, love God with all your heart, love your neighbors yourself. That's what the command says that. Love your God with all your heart. Their concept of God was not that God was a loving God, but that God was a God that was a judging God. Now, here's the truth. He's both. He's, he's not one attribute. He's, he's, he's all of his attributes in perfection. Sometimes we want to camp on one thing. and that, You say, well, God just loves everybody. He does love everybody. But he's also the God that says there's going to be a day of judgment. So we have to understand that there's, 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 he's, he's not a, a one-dimensional God, and he's certainly not made in our image or the way that we want to make him. So in response to this, Jesus tells three parables. He talks about the lost sheep, which we talked about last week. What if a man has 100 sheep and he loses one? Jesus said he'll leave the 99, not abandon them. He leaves them in the pasture. He leaves them in security. He leaves them in the fold. They're, they're his, but there's one that has wandered off. You know, why do sheep wander off? Because they're looking for greener grass. They're looking for a... And sheep are stupid. You know, and, and they have to be cared for. You, you, you very, very seldom hear of a wild sheep. You know. So they wander off. So he goes and looks for them. I know in the vestibule of the church that I grew up in, there was a picture of a shepherd with his staff reaching down over a cliff. Some of you will remember this picture. Reaching down over a cliff to hook his sheep and pull him to safety. There's also a picture where there's a picture of Jesus with a sheep on his shoulders that he's carrying back uh, to safety. So Jesus said, there's much rejoicing in heaven over the one lost sheep that is found. And then he tells the story of the lost coin, a woman who loses a coin. And she searches for it diligently, and she eventually finds it. And when she finds it, there's much rejoicing. She says, calls her neighbors together, says, let's rejoice because I've found this lost coin, which lets us know something is that in, with God, there's nothing insignificant. No one is insignificant. A, a small coin is not insignificant. A, a person that seems to have little value to other people has value to God. And how do, you get, how do you lose a coin? Well, you don't do it on purpose. 
You know, something happens. There's an agreement right there. You get, you know, you, you knock it off of the counter. You, don't, you know, sometimes, sometimes people get knocked around by other people. And in that process, they get lost. In that process, they think God doesn't love them because people have acted like idiots. Right? So we, we attribute the actions of others to God. We blame God because, well, they were church people. And of course, we know church people always act perfectly because they're all perfect, right? Of course not. We're all just in process. We're all a mess. We're all saved by grace. God's working on us. So sometimes church people say and do really stupid things. And sometimes me, myself, and I, all three of us, have done stupid things. Have you? Right. Some of you aren't so sure about that. Okay. Just ask your wife. She'll tell you. He says, so in the same way, I tell you that there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents for this, for this is what, this is what Jesus came to do for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Why did Jesus come? Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus came to rescue lost people. Now the problem with the Pharisees that he's telling this story to when they, when they thought about the tax collectors and sinners, they knew they were lost. But the Pharisees didn't know they were lost. They thought because they had slavishly kept the law that they were good with God, but their heart, Jesus said, your hearts are far from me. So he tells this third story. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. The story of the prodigal son. Now, we've all heard this. Now, here, an interesting thing is that because of this story, the prodigal son, when we hear the word prodigal, we think it means someone who goes off and comes back. As a matter of fact, it has been used so much that way. Someone who goes off like this prodigal son did and then returns. We think of that as the definition of the word prodigal. But actually, the word prodigal means lavish, extravagant, and wasteful. He was the prodigal son, not because he was wandered off and came back. He was the prodigal because he lavished, wasted his inheritance. So in that, Jesus tells us, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. Which is somewhat unusual because in, in Jesus' day, often estates wouldn't be divided that way. They would have given the, the lion's share to the eldest son. And the other children or sons would get less. But this father didn't do it according to convention. He divided his estate and gave each of them a share. He divided his wealth between them. So, in a sense, when do you get inheritance? When, either when someone dies or they're no longer fit to perform the duties, so you have to take over the duties for them. 
So, in a sense, the, the youngest son is saying, I wish you were dead. Because I would, I would rather have my money than to have you. So he's rejecting his father. I wish you were dead. Not many days later, the father, the younger son, not the father, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey in a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with prodigal living. That's, that word loose uh, is where we get prodigal. He squandered his estate with wasteful prodigal living. Now, a lot of parents feel shame when they have a rebellious child. I think one of the things we're good in the church is making people feel shame about all kinds of things. So if you have a child that doesn't, doesn't follow in church the way you do church, we often struggle with that because we often, because we struggle with comparison. You know, we struggle with comparing our children to other children. Well, you know, they're not like, you know, Josh Moore. He's a perfect child in every way. <laughs> Everyone. I don't know why everybody thought that was funny, but uh, uh, especially as, so, but we, we struggle with that. I think a lot of times we put a lot of shame on parents whose kids rebel. Yeah. Now, he didn't rebel because his father wasn't a good father. He didn't rebel because his father wasn't a loving father or a generous father. Why did he rebel? Because he wanted to. People make choices, and sometimes people make, make bad choices. And we, we don't have any power over their bad choices. Uh, so he's, he's, he's spending it all in loose living. He's wasting his money. Now, when he had spent everything, it didn't take long, a severe famine occurred in the land, and he began to be impoverished. In other words, his, he was poor, and the famine made his poverty worse. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the, that country, and he sent him to feed his fields, sent him to his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. So he spent all of his money. There's a famine in the land. Uh, he's in a far enough country that he, you know, he's far away from Israel enough that they're kind of like the, the far side of the Sea of Galilee where there was a herd of swine. They're raising swine. And uh, so he's, you know, to the, you can imagine he's telling this story to Pharisees. So the Pharisees, to the Pharisees, he's like, this is the lowest of the low. Like he's, he's, He's feeding swine, unclean animals. He's having to come in contact with unclean animals. He's really reached the bottom. And not only that is that he's hungry, and he would like to eat what the pigs are eating. The pigs are eating pods of something. They're eating locust tree pods or carob tree pods, or they're eating black pea pods. They're eating some kind of potted edible thing but they're watching him enough that they're not even letting him eat that. He would have liked to have eaten it, but they won't let him eat it. He said they, no one was giving him anything to eat. So something happened. 
But when he came to his senses, you know, sometimes God will let us get in a corner so that we'll listen to him. And he'll let us suffer the consequences of our decisions. God did not even have to do anything to him. You know, and he could have cried out and said, God, why have you done this to me? Did God do this to him? No. But here's what the Bible says. Whatever man sows, that will he also reap. So often the way God works in our life is that he allows us to suffer the consequences of our actions. He doesn't have to intervene. We've already set it in motion. It's a law of the harvest. What you sow, you'll reap, right? And so this pain, this pain of his decisions, this pain of his, now he's realizing this was a bad way to do this. It causes him to come to his senses. This is what he says. How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread but I'm dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. Because all sin, all, all sin is primarily against heaven. And in your sight, and he had sinned against his father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me one of your hired men. So what has happened? He's repented. He's had a change of heart. His hardened, selfish heart that was focused on give me what is mine is now been softened and now he's saying I don't deserve anything. I'll just go home because I know that my father's hired men are treated better than this because they get have bread to eat. They're not giving me anything to eat. They have bread to eat, so I will go to my father's house and I'll say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. So, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired men. The road home always begins with heartfelt repentance. Genuine repentance. The Bible even tells us it's God who gives us repentance. God gives us the ability to repent. God shows us where we are. It's great to know if you're lost. Don't, don't you love that feature on your phone that, that if it's working and, and the stars have aligned correctly uh, and Siri's not mad at you, uh, that you can open up your maps on your phone and look at Google or whichever map program you have. And one of the great things that it will show you is where you are. Because if you don't know where you are, you can't get to anywhere. If you get lost, it's a grace to know you're lost. To be, to be able to clearly identify where you are. It's the grace of God when God says to you, you're lost and you need to come home, that he puts a waypoint in your heart. He establishes a point in your heart. This is not where you have to stay. Lost is not your destiny. But lost is a beginning point to getting home. He had to recognize that he was lost. And so he begins the journey home. So he got up, came to his father. 
But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. I love that. I love that. You know what that says? He was looking. He was expecting. He was expecting that someday he would look down the road that led to that family farm. And he would look down the road and he would see that son. And from a long ways off, he said, that's him. That's my boy. I recognize him. I, I recognize that walk. I recognize that way he carries himself. That's, that's, that's my boy. And he, and he gets up. And he runs to him. He runs to meet him. He doesn't, he doesn't wait. He doesn't say, well, you know, he's really hurt the family. He needs to, he needs to walk the long way back. He runs to meet him. Now, what is Jesus telling us in this story? He's telling us what God is like. He's giving us a picture of who God is. And so the father, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's older. He doesn't run like he used to run. He gathers up his clothes because the way they wore, they wore those long robes. He has to gather up his clothes so he can run, and he runs to meet him. And he embraced him, and he kissed him, threw his arms around him. You know, he was filthy. Been feeding pigs. Been on a long journey. Didn't have on shoes. His clothes were tattered, worn, beat up. He smelled to high heaven. Father ran and embraced him, kissed him. And so the son begins. Son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now you remember there was two parts to this. He said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. The second part was, just make me one of your hired hands. I'm no longer worthy to be a son. I'm not worthy to be a son. I've failed you. I've wasted. I've been a prodigal. I've wasted money that, I, that you worked hard all of your life to earn, and I threw it away in selfish living. I've wasted it. I'm not worthy to be your son. Just make me a hired hand. But do you know what I love about this? That he never gets to finish the second part. I love this because he says, I'm not worthy to be your son. And as he's saying that, the father just stops him right there. And he says, but the father said to the slaves, quick, bring out the best robe. He says, go back in the closet. You know the, you know the one that, we, that I never wear because it's too special. You know, you have that stuff, that, that really good stuff that you're saving for that special occasion, and the special occasion just never seems to show up. He says, go in the back of the closet. He says, a beautiful robe. Go get that robe. And he brings that robe, and he puts it on his son. Now, the, in this process, you know, they're, they're bringing him to the house. He's gone a long way to meet him. And they're working this. Now it's a group of people. It's slaves and it's the people that work for him. They're, they're coming they're, and they're gathering. They're getting closer and closer to the house. He puts a robe on him. He puts sandals on his feet. He hasn't had anything on his feet. 
puts a ring on his hand. What's the, what's the significance of that ring? He puts a ring on his hand. It's the family ring. It's the signet ring. It's, it's the credit card. With that ring, he can go into town and say, we need supplies for the farm. He said, well, how do you know? And so they would, they would take that and they would melt wax and he'd put his insignia on it and said, that's, that's for my family. Basically, what he said to the son who had wasted the money, he said, here, you're back. Puts a, puts a ring on his hand, sandal on his feet, and they bring the fatted calf and they kill it. And, and they, he said, let us eat and celebrate for us. This son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and he's been found. And they begin to celebrate. The Bible tells us, we know this, what Jesus is saying. There's a celebration in heaven over lost sinners that repent. There's a celebration in heaven when people come back to God, when people come home that have wandered off, when people in in selfishness or in anger have wandered away from God, that when they come back home, there's a celebration. But that's not the end of the story because there were two brothers. Jesus said, now, his older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. You know what his response should have been? My brother's back. My brother's back. My brother's back. My brother's back. He should have been excited, right? Wouldn't that have been the normal family response. I thought my brother was dead. He's not dead. He's come back home and now they're having a party. They're celebrating his return, but it didn't make him happy. It made him mad. Now, who is Jesus comparing the older brother to? The Pharisees. Because they're mad because sinners and tax collectors are coming to Jesus. They're coming home to Father. They're repenting. They're changing their lives. They're giving their wealth that they got from stealing it. They're giving it away to the poor. Their hearts have changed. So Jesus is saying this to the Pharisees. But he wasn't happy. He was angry, but he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. Again, we see the heart of the father because he even loves legalists. He even loves people who judge other people really harshly. God still loves them. But he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I have been serving. The actual word there, serving, is that I've been a slave to you. And I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, he didn't really know that, did he? He wasn't with him. 
He doesn't know how he wasted his money. He's making an assumption about how he wasted his money. You kill the fattened calf for him. He said, I don't understand this. You've never done this for me, but you've done it for this son who wasted your money. One of the things that God is trying to say is that wherever you've gone and whatever you've done, it doesn't matter to God. Just come back home. God didn't make him give a list of the things he had done. Well, tell me everything you've done, and then you can come back home. You know what he said? I've sinned against heaven and against you. And the father said, okay. He truly repented of his sin. The father received him in. It doesn't matter what you've done. God doesn't care what you've done. It doesn't matter how you've messed up. You can't go too far that God won't receive you back home. Your journey hasn't taken you too far away from God. You know, there are, there are heinous murderers that on their deathbed have asked Jesus into their heart. And because of the goodness of God, not because they deserve it, because they don't deserve it, and I don't deserve it, and you don't deserve it. But by the grace of God, God gives them forgiveness because of the complete work of Christ on the cross. Not because they deserved it in any way, but Jesus paid for it. It doesn't matter what you've done. You can't mess up too bad. That's what the enemy will always tell you. Now you've done it. Now you've done it. Now there's no way back. They'll never receive you back in. But the Father will. You see, what he's saying is, if you believe your good works and your moral character earn God's favor, then your pride will keep you outside of God's great feast of grace and forgiveness. If you think you don't need it, then you don't get it. The Pharisees were missing the feast. It made them mad because prostitutes and tax gatherers and sinners were feasting on the goodness of God and they're outside the feast saying they don't deserve to be in. And you know what God would say? You're right. And neither do you. And they missed the celebration. We can miss the celebration if we think we've earned it by our goodness. That's why we come in here every week and we lift our hands to heaven and we say, oh God, I'm not good, but you are. Your majesty, your wonderful, your love, your grace, your mercy that has been poured out upon me. And he said to him, son, you've always been with me. And all that is mine is yours. I want you to think about this. He had divided his estate and given half to each brother. So everything that was there was the older brothers. It wasn't the father's. The father had given it to his two sons. He's saying, son, everything you see, it's not mine. It's yours. I gave it to you. And if you wanted to kill a fatted calf and invite your friends, it was, you could always celebrate It was always there. You could always enjoy the blessings of my favor and my love. But he 
didn't understand that, but he had to celebrate. We had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to be alive and was lost and has been found. We always want to be careful that we're not Pharisees that are building walls that are keeping lost people from coming to Jesus. Ephesians says this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished, he prodigaled upon us. He's the prodigal God. He is not the just enough God. He is wasteful with his love. He loves us while we're yet sinners. With his love, he pulls us in to his grace and his mercy so that he can give us the greatest gift, so that he can give us forgiveness because he has a reason. There's something that God's wanting to do is that he doesn't want you to be a slave. He wants you to be a son. He doesn't want you slavishly away. I got to keep these commandments. Boy, this Christian life sure is fun. Just keeping these commandments. Just doing the right thing. You know why he wants you to do the right thing? Because you want to do the right thing. You know, I've been married now 42 years. I think that's right. Is that right? Six. It'll be 43. Yeah, 42. Be 43 in a couple months. 42 years. And uh, so I made a commitment to Tina that I would be faithful to her, and she made a commitment to me that she'd be faithful to me. That's part of the wedding vows. I pledged her my troth. You may know what pledging your troth is. But back in the old wedding ceremony, you pledged your troth, and that means, and we, we memorized ours. And so I got creative because I couldn't remember them in the heat of the moment. And so I pledged her my troth twice. I pledged her my trust. And hereto I pledge you my trust. You can trust me to do the right thing. Now, we've been married 42 years. Have I been faithful to her because I said those words? Or have I been faithful to her because I love her? What was the motivating factor? The vows that I made or the love that I have? The motivating factor that will change you, the way God changes you, is not by the law. The way God changes us is by grace and love and mercy. And he does change us. He calls, I mean, because I love her, I can't be sloppy with my commitment. That's not love. Because I love God, I can't be sloppy with the commandments. That's not love. I'm going to do what he's called me to do. I'm going to enjoy this lavish love. I love Romans chapter 8, and he kind of gives us a good picture of this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who For the law of the spirit of life in Christ, here's why there's no condemnation. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. In other words, why is the law weak through the flesh? The the law is weak through the flesh is because you can't keep it. 
I mean, you could keep it today till two, but you might have problems at three. We can't keep the law because we can't keep the law. It's the flesh is weak for what the law could not do. Weak as it was to the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Jesus fulfilled the law for us on the cross. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Then you skip down a couple of verses in verse 14. It says, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, they are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. He has called us to be sons. And that we are. If your Christianity feels like slavery, if it's just a a list of do's and don'ts and drudgery, you're not doing it right. Because he called us out of slavery into sonship. Now we are the sons of God. And we don't know what it's gonna, how it's going to appear when he appears, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him. It's not a list of rules. It's a relationship. And Jesus just said it this way. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Not keep my commandments to prove you love me. If you love me, you're going to keep my commandments because you love me. Make sense? Lord, help change our hearts. We want to have the joy that you've called us to have as sons. Let's stand together. And if maybe you feel like the prodigal today that's wasted grace, you've wasted God's lavish love, you've messed up, I want to tell you that the invitation is to come home. The Father will run to meet you. You know how he runs to meet us? He ran to meet us on the cross. Because he declares his love for us when he gave his own son to die for us. So we run to him. But he's already running to us. So I want to tell you there's always an invitation. The Father says, come home. The Father is inviting you home. You're not too far gone and you haven't gone too far away. What you've done didn't mess up the grace of God in your life. The affair that you had, the mistakes that you made, there are always consequences, but they don't keep you from the house of God. They don't keep you from the family of God and they don't keep you from the love of God. God wants to bring you back home. The loving Heavenly Father, who the prodigal God, who is going to waste his love on us because he's going to give it to us lavishly. Father, I pray today that if there are any that have wandered away, that feel like they're too far away, that they can't come back home, we know that the Father is longing and expecting and looking 
for us to start down that road to say, I've messed up and I've sinned, and I'm sorry, Lord, I ask you to forgive me. I've sinned against heaven and earth, and I've sinned against you, Lord, and I ask you to forgive me and to begin the journey home. Lord, I want to come home to you. And Lord, some of us in here today, we've turned our relationship into a religion. We've turned into into a drudgery. And Lord, we want to walk in the freedom of the sons of God. We want to walk in the light of the liberty of Christ. We want to walk in what you've called us to be. We want to walk in the lavish grace that you pour out upon us. Not to be loose with our living, but to be empowered in our living by the grace of God to live because you love us as sons of God. In Jesus' name, amen.